Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 963 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, June the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show at Locked On Raptors, of course, on Twitter. You can also find us on all your favorite podcast apps. Please subscribe to, rate, review, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Odyssey, Podbean, Overcast, whatever it might be. Please subscribe to, rate, review, tell a friend. It's always very much appreciated. All right, on today's show, we are closing out our player review portion of the Season from Hell in Review. We'll finish off things tomorrow and stop talking about the season from hell as of tomorrow when we talk about Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse and the coaching staff in the front office. We'll get to that later, uh, and that will be the end of looking back at the season that was, and we'll begin looking ahead next week. But uh, today we're finishing off the player portion of it, and we're going to dive into three players who are not going to take up an entire episode, and so I have a bunch of mailbag questions that have also come in as well. So we're going to round out the roster with the last three guys we haven't talked about yet, four guys maybe, and then get to your questions in the final two segments because I unfortunately cannot stretch an entire podcast out of Stanley Johnson, Paul Watson, Freddie Gillespie, and Rodney Hood. All of them are nice people, but uh, there's just not a lot there to dig into. So we'll devote the first segment to those guys and take your mailbag questions on the other side. Before we get into it, just a reminder, June 22nd, you can be part of our watch party for the draft lottery. It's going to be very, very, very fun. I really can't recommend it enough. And to get in, of course, the only way to do it is to send me a receipt for a uh, donation you've made to one of the two causes that I have listed in my pinned tweet, the international, uh, sorry, the Uh, Indian Residential School Survivor Society, as well as the Islamic Relief Palestine Emergency Fund. If you donate 25 bucks or more to those causes, one or both, if you want to do two, go nuts, uh, then by all means, please send me your receipt and you will be part of the Draft Lottery Watch Party on the 22nd. It's going to be a blast. We've already raised over $800 as well. So join the fun, join the good times, join the good vibes, and we will see you on the 22nd. All right, let's get to talking about... The last few guys on the Raptors roster whose seasons we have not yet reviewed. We'll do quick hitters on the four guys we haven't gotten to, and then we'll get your mailbag questions. So let's start with Stanley Johnson, shall we? Stanley Johnson, oh, poor Stan. He played a lot this year, and for a time, he looked like he might be kind of carving himself out a nice little role as a role player. He was hitting his threes at the start of the year. He was doing some little extra playmaking in some bench lineups. His defense was outstanding, and for the first time really in his career— his offense was useful enough that it was balancing out uh, and was you know, able to be on the floor to help keep that defense on the floor. Is that, I'm not really sure if that's how I was trying to express that thought, but still, that's the thought I had. You know, He finally justified his defense being on the floor with his scoring, not really even his scoring, just his playmaking and you know, hitting catch-and-shoot threes whenever he had the chance. 
that lasted for like, I don't know, two, three weeks. And then things kind of went back to being Stanley Johnson, where he's turnover prone, where he really misses a lot of his threes, finished the year just 32.8% from three, which has got to be some kind of career high for him, honestly, considering the bricks he's kind of thrown up in years past. And he really did become the guy that was the new Patrick McCaw in a lot of ways, just inexplicably getting minutes from Nick Nurse, even though they were clearly better when he was not on the floor. He's not uh, under contract for next year at this point. I have a hard time seeing him coming back to the Raptors. I know there's two years of sort of institutional knowledge there. You could probably do worse to have a 15th man who is Stanley Johnson with the defense he can provide, but I just don't see that being worth the roster spot. you got two second-round picks coming in, and a lot of the roster is kind of already set in stone for where next year is going to be. I think you'd rather get a look at those second-round guys potentially on the roster than Stanley Johnson. And it's, again, nothing against Stan. He's a good dude. He was a really fun personality. The games where he did kind of go off are always a pure delight because you could kind of sense him realizing, oh, my God, this is the best I've ever done in my career, and there was something really special about that. But obviously... He's not really an NBA player, unfortunately. His offense is just not there, especially in a league where offense is becoming far more of a priority and where teams are putting up absurd offensive totals. You know, Stanley Johnson's kind of culprit one when you look at why the bench unit struggled this season and why they continued to sort of live that life of winning their stretches of minutes four to two or losing them six to four or whatever. It just, he could never really drive good offensive play when he was on the floor. I'm going to be sad to see Stanley Johnson, the person, go. Not at all sad to see Stanley Johnson, the player, go. And I would be pretty surprised if he's back next year. The next guy, Freddie Gillespie, who, of course, was one of the great stories down the back part of the season. Played 20 games for the team, 5.6 points, 4.9 boards, shot, uh, what was it, 52% on twos, 52.4% overall. He didn't take a three during his time with the team. And averaged a blocky game as well in 19.6 minutes. I think Freddie Gillespie, I mean, he's going to be around next year. They've given him a contract for next year. I'm not sure if it's guaranteed yet, but it seems like he's going to be around for next year. And I think that's a good idea. Do I think he profiles as a clear backup center? Not necessarily. I think he's probably best suited to be a really good third big and you're happy to have him there and kind of move him along in the developmental tra- trajectory a little bit get to see what he can do with some work under the Raptors coaching and development and maybe he gets an opportunity at some point to be the backup and he looks maybe like he's fit for the part I don't think ideally you're starting next season with Freddie Gillespie being your backup center all that said he was really fun this year and it was nice to see a guy who was excellent in the G League come in and kind of instantly address some problems the Raptors had He was obviously an excellent rebounder. The offensive glass, 2.1 offensive boards a game in 19.6 minutes, nothing to sneeze at, and he really helped sort of stem all the issues the Raptors had with their rebounding. Both him and Ken Birch coming in at the same time had very similar effects, and it really is wild when you have competent big man play and strong rebounders down there, how much it makes it easier to finish off possessions. You're not getting killed by those second chance opportunities. And that's the best thing Freddie Gillespie provides, I think. His defense is nice, you know, around the rim. He's super long. He was really good, you know, sort of timing his blocks. I didn't find him to be particularly, like, foul-prone or anything like that. He averaged 2.2 fouls in his 20 minutes, so maybe a little bit high, but not anything glaring or awful or anything like that. And I think he is pretty mobile. He doesn't look mobile. He kind of walks sort of cumbersomely, but when he's moving on the court in the action of the game, he looks like he's pretty smooth and fluid. He can come up, he can hedge high, he can drop back, like he can kind of play a bunch of different defensive styles, which is kind of what the Raptors want, right? And so 
even if it's just in a, a bit role next season where he's maybe not playing most of the night nights, but he gets in there once in a while for matchup purposes or for injury replacement or whatever it might be, I think you're pretty comfortable with a guy like that who's, again, just 23, has a lot of room to grow, particularly in the offensive end. I mean, that's where the growth is really going to have to come. Can he finish more than just putbacks? Can he become a role man? Something like that. Um, you know, he doesn't really present himself very well as a good role target, and he's big. He's got long arms. You'd figure that'd be something he can work himself towards. But until then, you know, he's just like a nice rebounding defensive energy big. And as the third big going into next season, I think you're totally comfortable uh, with Freddie Gillespie. A couple more guys here. Uh, We will get into Paul Watson Jr. now, who, bummer of a season for Paul Watson, man. 27 games played. He averaged 4.1 points a game. He was one of the 10 Raptors to score 30 points in a game this season, which is hilarious. Um, You know, it, it just it never came together because of health and because of COVID. And it seemed like his bout with COVID was pretty serious, which is an extreme bummer. And it really sort of derailed him when it looked like he was snatching, you know, the first wing off the bench spot for the Raptors. And I I don't know, he's a little bit older, he's 26. And so who knows what the sort of future is going to be for him, what the developmental curve might be. But he's grown so much in his time since the G League and you know with the Raptors this season. It'd be nice to just see him get some regular run. And I think you go into next season, I think he'll be on the team. And I think he probably slots in in this sort of similar range to like a Jalen Harris would next year, where, you know, clearly not in the obvious surefire coming off the bench rotation tier of the roster, but definitely in that 11 through 15 range, you can certainly pencil him in. And I think you're pretty comfortable with that. And he, again, sort of as like a 14th, 15th guy, you could do a lot worse than Paul Watson. It's a, it's a nice thing that the Raptors sort of are going to have a bit of a silver lining from this season, I think, coming out of it, is that you had all these guys, Utah, Paul Watson, Jalen Harris even, guys who really wouldn't typically have gotten a lot of run if the Raptors were fully healthy. They actually got run, and in some cases very much improved and, and figured things out, and will come into next season probably a little bit more seasoned and ready to take on those back end of roster spots and won't look out of place if injury or circumstance forces them a little further up in the lineup. So uh, hopefully Paul Watson Jr. can get back to full health. Hopefully he doesn't have any long-term effects from COVID or anything like that. Um, and, and shout out to him for his 30-point game and his second-to-last game of the season against the Magic on 10 of 13 shooting. Just crazy stuff. Uh, we like Paul Watson Jr here on this podcast uh, shout out to kelsey o'brien and raptors 905 basketball baby uh last person we'll talk about before we get into your mailbag questions is of course uh rodney hood <laughs> notable raptors legend rodney hood who for a short time after the trade the gary trent trade uh, where he was the salary match for norm coming in it seemed like maybe he was about to talk me into Maybe you pick up his option for next year and have him come back and be sort of a, a bench hand. He looked really rough other than a couple games out of the break there. Of course, he got hurt too, and that's not amazing, and it sucks for him because his entire career seems to have been derailed by injury, and it's not really in his control, which is a huge bummer. You know, there's some nice stuff there with him. You know, he can create a shot a little bit. You know, he looks comfortable putting the ball in the deck. I love to watch a lefty at work, and he's also big, and you can roll out, you know, multi-wing lineups with him. It's just he doesn't seem to have the juice anymore. doesn't seem to have the finishing ability anymore. And it's a huge bummer because Rodney Hood's a cool player. But for $10 bucks, I cannot see the Raptors picking that up. However, if you're looking for how Rodney Hood could inform the future of the team, he's really circled for me as a guy with a, a non-guaranteed deal for next year as a guy who 
very much could be uh you know trade ballast at the at the draft you know if they're able to include Rodney Hood as the salary going out maybe you can make something happen of course he's the guy I keep throwing into my hypothetical Miles Turner trades but there's any number of guys out there if the Raptors want to target them whether it's a big whether it's a two guard who can score whatever it might be I think Rodney Hood is a pretty valuable contract to have on the books and if not they you know they they non-guarantee his deal and they get some cap space out of it if he ends up leaving so you know, it's a, it's a bummer it didn't quite work out, but I don't think you could ask for much more, really, from Rodney Hood, a guy whose inj- injuries have really just kind of slowed him down to a kind of depressing degree. And I hope all is well with Rodney Hood. I hope he's able to find a job somewhere next year and find himself uh, back in, in sort of NBA relevance because it's been a tough go the last couple of years for old Big Rod. Uh, those are my thoughts on the last guys that I have yet to review from the Raptors this season uh, who finished the season with the team, at least. And so we'll leave it there. We are done with the season from Hell in Review for every member of the roster. Again, we'll get to the season from Hell in Review tomorrow regarding the front office and the coaching staff and how they did this season. A bit of a difficult thing to evaluate, but Katie's going to come on the podcast and we're going to talk about that. Um, But until then, we will leave it for now. We'll get to your mailbag questions coming up in just one second. But before we do that, I want to tell you about a new sponsor we have here on the podcast, and that is Stat Hero. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising, though? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You just don't stand a chance. But Stat Hero, it is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and with and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. You're, you're, you name the stakes, you name the what you want to do, and the winner takes all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. Nobody else is going to be doing that in the fantasy sports world. You are in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be. One-on-one, play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash locked on, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. That is 300% on return on your first play. That is awesome. Again, a 300% return, and that is basically unheard of in the fantasy world. Stathero.com slash locked on, stathero.com slash locked on. Be careful, there are some geographical restrictions when it comes to Stathero, but if you're in one of the places where you can play it, give it a shot. It's a lot of fun. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best-tasting protein bars money can buy. They have nine amazing flavors for you in their staple lineup, plus limited-time flavors that pop up from time to time as well. Best flavor, I think, for me is mint brownie, but also raspberry is quite good. Cherry's pretty awesome. Double chocolate, salted caramel. You can't really go wrong, but if you don't know what your favorite flavor is... Order a mix box. You get two of each of the nine flavors. You get to decide which one you like the most, and then you can order a full box of those bad boys right to your house, both in Canada and in the USA. I really like Built Bars. I, I it's, it's a product I use. It's a product I like. It's a product that helps me, you know, fuel it for a bike ride or whatever it might be. And I, I really can't recommend them enough. Go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code Locked15 and get 15% off your next order. That is the promo code Locked15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Do it. All right, let's get to your mailbag questions. We have a lot of questions that came in, and thank you to everyone for sending them on in. It's uh, very, very appreciated. So let's start digging in to these questions. Uh, First question here comes from, I had it here, and then I lost it. What is wrong with me? From Chuck Hayes Fan Club. The question is, is there a magic draft pick number that the Raptors drop to that makes it more interesting 
for trading versus keeping it? Um, so this is a really good question and one I've thought about quite a bit as you know, Damian Lillard has become potentially on the trade market, but probably not. Um, as you think about like Bradley Beal or whoever it else might be. Look, I am a big believer in getting dudes who are good right now. And particularly, I think because of the roster the Raptors currently have, because Fred and Pascal are in their primes, because OG is going into his prime, because all three of those guys are on contracts that now start the clock on unrestricted free agency, I am big on the idea of getting someone who can help you win right now. I think you can get the those in the draft, but it's pretty limited in terms of guys who in the next couple years are going to be able to help you contend. Cade Cunningham is one of those guys. Like I think we could see a sort of Luca arc with him where, you know, in the first year maybe it's a little bit rough, but year two and beyond, boom, you're running. And even year one's not that rough if you have a really good supporting cast, which the Raptors figure to have for a guy coming in who would assume the lead bar lead, lead ball handling duties, but wouldn't be able to wouldn't have to do it all on his own. Because he'd have people to defer to. So, Cade, I think you're not trading that pick. If you get number one, there's no way in the world I'm trading that pick. If I am the Raptors, I think Cade Cunningham is the kind of superstar that you lose games for. I don't think tanking is good. I don't even know if the Raptors intentionally tanked. I think there's lots of factors in why the Raptors lost a ton of games down the stretch. Um, You know, more probably keeping dudes fresh and healthy versus actually trying to lose games. Maybe it all goes hand in hand. Who knows? But I think... Number one, you're not trading it for anybody. After that, you can start talking me into dealing it. And, you know, I think if they jump up two, three, four, it becomes a pretty interesting possibility. Like, I don't think you're getting an impact guy with the seventh or eighth overall pick. If they stay static or they move down a spot, even two, I don't think seven, eight, nine is getting you some sort of star. It's not getting you Dame. It's not getting you Bradley Beal. It's not getting you whoever it might be. If you get to two, three, four in a draft that is believed to have, you know, four or five franchise altering sort of prospects, which, you know, I think that maybe is a bit of a high estimate. I would always bet against there being that many franchise changers in a single draft, but who knows? We see lots of drafts that are stacked. 2018 apparently had a million franchise changers, and maybe this one does as well. And so I I, I don't think you're sort of insane if you call up Portland and say, hey, we have the number two pick and we can send you Chris Boucher and we can send you, um, you know, potentially Fred Van Vliet and we can send you a bunch of other stuff. But this number two pick is the big thing. We'll send you future picks as well because that's what it's going to take. But this is the key thing. You have the number two pick in this year's draft. You get to expedite your rebuild in the post-Dame era. What do you say? You know, the same thing goes for Bradley Beal, though Beal's a bit interesting because he's a free agent after next season. And do you want to give up the number two overall pick for a pending free agent that you're not sure you can keep around? It's far different than giving up the 28th overall pick for Kawhi Leonard. You know, Kelton Johnson's nice and all, but I would take the title (laughs) in exchange for that. I don't know if you trade for a Bradley Beal and instantly become a, a title contender. Maybe you get close. I'm not sure. It depends on growth from OG and stuff, but... You know, I, I think you're kind of still probably sub nets at least, and that's kind of the standard bearer for going forward here. So, yeah, you know, you could probably talk yourself into a deal like that for some team, but there's lots of different sort of things to keep in mind. You know, the the, the Lillard thing's interesting because he's under contract for like a million years beyond this year, and you almost get to the point at the back end of that contract, are you a little scared of that contract? You know, at 33, 34, is Dame Lillard still the same great player? 
And so that brings the calculus, you know, with the second or third or fourth pick also kind of into play. And you have to, you know, it's a value judgment, right? It's what do you value? How much do you value those guys? Two, three, four. Do you think Evan Mobley, Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, any one of those guys is going to be a franchise changing sort of superstar? And if so, you probably don't do it. But if you don't feel very high on those guys, then yeah, you probably explore trading it to see if you can get that sort of win now piece to pair with your win now core that already exists. It's a difficult thing. I, I, I really, I, I struggle with it because I both value finding guys who can win right now, but also if the market isn't bearing one of those guys, there's no need to force it, right? Like there's going to be another guy who comes along and if you use your big chip on the wrong guy, you're setting yourself back big time. And so I think I'd probably hang on to it if it's two, three, four. I'd probably call around, see what the best thing you can get for it is. If you call Oklahoma City, the coward thunder, and say, hey, Sam Presti, we have this shiny pick for you. Will you give, give us Shea Gilgis-Alexander in exchange before you have to pay him? Maybe you get lucky. And he says, you know what? I'm so horny for picks. I'm going to take that on, and you can have Shea. I don't think that's going to happen, though, because Sam Presti would have to be an idiot to do that. And I know Sam Presti uh, I like to make fun of, but I don't think he's an idiot. I just think he's a pick-hoarding freak, and so maybe you can capitalize on that. But yeah, two, three, four, I think you're probably hanging on to it. And then, you know, when you get to the five, six, I guess it won't be five or six, it'll be seven, eight, nine. You know, I'm totally fine using that pick. I'm totally fine sort of exploring what you can do with it. But if there's not something out there that immediately affects the the, the now of the team, I'm happy taking like a high upside play there. You know, that's why I like Keon Johnson, for example, who really does have like number one scorer upside. And, you know, it could be pretty exciting. He's a good two-way player already. And if you can kind of refine the shooting and the ball handling and the playmaking, then, oh my God, you're looking at a freaking monster. So I'd rather take that high upside play there than trade it for something else. You know, it, it is sort of a, an attack on my sensibilities because my whole philosophy is get dudes who are good now and worry about later, later. But in this particular case, with this draft being what it is and with there not really being a clear available superstar, there's not a Kawhi. You know, Carl Anthony Towns doesn't seem like he's going anywhere right now. And the Wolves would be silly to move on from him right now, frankly, as much as I wish they would. You know, if a Towns is available, absolutely, you throw any pick outside of number one on the table, too. Um, but I just don't think that's a real realistic thing. So, yeah, use the pick, probably. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think the only sort of thing that I'm absolutely not doing is trading number one after that you explore but uh you kind of go from there and probably end up using the pick and adding to your young core and hopefully get someone who can compete alongside Siakam and Fred it's just a difficult needle to thread right now for the Raptors so interesting question very good question I think there's lots of different angles to it and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about that very thing as we go forward here next question here comes from Chris Myers asking, with rumors going around that Kemba and the Celtics are wanting to part ways, do you think someone of skill of his skill set would be a good fit on a team like the Raptors? If not, which team do you think would benefit from having Kemba on their team? So I don't think Kemba is a good fit on the Raptors. I think in theory, you know, a pull-up three-point shooting guard it was a great fit. That's why Kyle Lowry is such a great fit. I just don't think Kemba is at that stage of his career anymore. And I think sort of putting a high burdensome, you know, offensive load on him is probably going to be too much. His knees don't seem like they're able to take it anymore. And he's also a bad defender, which kind of runs counter to everything the Raptors want to do as well. You know, there were times there where he kind of looked scrappy defensively, but he's small. And ultimately, I think he's going to get targeted if you get to a playoff series or whatever it might be. So I'm not into the Kemba idea. You know, I think it'd be really difficult for the Raptors to pull it off anyway because of the salary Kemba's on. Um, you know, you might be able to get the Celtics to 
give you stuff to take them on. And maybe that's a, an avenue if the Raptors lose Kyle Lowry and they want to maintain, you know, good point guard play. You could do Kemba and Fred as your backcourt, I suppose, and absorb Kemba into cap space. But I just Kemba Fred is not nearly as sexy to me as as Lowry Fred because both of those guys are good defenders who um, are sort of equally adept at playing on and off the ball. Kemba, I think, is more of an on-ball player, and I just I, I don't think he's a good enough defender to make it worth having two six-foot guards in your backcourt. In terms of teams that could use him, I, I think. You know, it's weird, but like that Porzingis-Kemba trade kind of seems to make a lot of sense to me. Kemba would give Luka someone to kind of take some of the ball handling burden off of. You get Kristaps Porzingis out of Dallas, and my God, I think they need to do that stat. You know, Porzingis, bad person, bad player, all all bad. Uh, and I don't think there's any good news happening there in, in Dallas with him there. Um, and he fits perfectly into what Boston fans like. So uh, <laughs> that's going to be my pick for a Kemba trade. Uh, We're going to get to a couple more of your questions coming up in just one second as we round this thing out. But first, I want to tell you about Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, pomegranate, Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine as well that comes in cherry, ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now. It's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere on flights at work, on the go, even at the gym. Look, I don't smoke. I never have, but uh, you know, I have smokers in my life. I'll be telling them about Lucy and saying you should uh, try this because there's always a better alternative to smoking disgusting cigarettes. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month, so it's simple. You don't have to leave your house because Lucy delivery has you covered. Lucy lozenges and gums are also, again, FSA and HSA eligible, so you can spend pre-tax dollars on them. Locked on NBA Network listeners, go to lucy.co and use the promo code Locked on NBA to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co. Use the promo code Locked on NBA at checkout. Also, I must give this disclaimer. This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code locked on nba all right we got a couple more of your mailbag questions to get to again if i don't get to your question i'm very sorry i did not get to it but i will promise i'll get to them in the future or i'll work them into future episodes or maybe i won't you can just ask them again and i'll get to them in the future uh this one here comes from hudson at hudson 434 the question is do you think if og is healthy the whole season he could win most improved player hell yeah i do <laughs> i think we saw a sort of most improved type bump in the back part of his season and I think just with the way the offense is coming along, the way his dribble drive game is coming along, the way he's kind of leveraging his size and strength for post-ups, I think there's very much a chance that OG could win most improved. And I think the fact that so far so good on the front when it comes to his uh, usage increasing and also his shooting per- his shooting percentage is not dipping, I think that's a really good sign that he can scale up, you know, add those numbers and still look the part of a, of a guy who's most improved candidate. You know, I think he had like 15.9 points a game this year. I think 
usually you need like a five or six point jump in that to get in the most improved. It's silly that we do it based on points jumps, but it's just the way it works and the people who vote on it. Um, and so, yeah, I think if OG comes out next year and averages 20, 21 a game, which I think is on the table, considering what he was doing at the end of the year where he was scoring in the 20s basically every night, I think it's certainly on the table. The fact that his defense is also there, he's not really going to improve on defense, but it could also kind of lead, if he has a higher profile as an offensive player, maybe that leads to him getting some love on the all-defense teams and all-NBA or, or whatever it might be. Not all-NBA, probably, but um, you know, the all-defense teams, absolutely. And defensive player of the year is actually what I was looking for. Not all-NBA, when I was saying words um so yeah good question i think absolutely it's on the table next question here this one comes from uh jordan who asks if the raptors get lucky and get the first overall pick should they pursue a trade that with the warriors that sends siakam to golden state and wiseman and wiggins to toronto a future of Cade, wiseman and og would be very promising and it also makes sense for the warriors right now Makes sense for the Warriors. I don't think it makes a lick of sense for the Toronto Raptors. I don't think you're trading the first overall pick. Uh, sorry, it's not trading the first overall pick here. It's trading Siakam for Wiseman and Wiggins. I guess the logic here is, you know, you get two players to kind of fill out the depth. You address the center position. You bring back Wiggins. The problem is uh, Wiseman was an absolute disaster in his rookie season, just like a complete and total nightmare was like the, the turnaround for the Warriors was directly tied to Wiseman going out for the season with injury. And that sucks. And that's the life of a rookie big, but that's the reality. And it might be two, three, four years before James Wiseman is a productive center who contributes to winning if that ever happens. Then you have Andrew Wiggins, who, yes, it was a nice story. He was fine this year. He, you know, hit some threes, like 35 or 36% of them. He was the third best player, I guess, in the Warriors. That's not exactly clearing a high bar. And I still think we've seen in the play-in games and down the stretch, there are still lots of limitations with Andrew Wiggins. And Pascal Siakam is just, he's the best player among those three. And it's not even close. And so, like, a pairing of Cade Cunningham with OG Siakam Fred that's that's your contending team right there. Like in the, the next couple years, that becomes a contender. I'm fully convinced of that. There's not as easy a path when you have Wiseman and Wiggins on your team, especially Wiseman, who's just not a contending style center, at least right now, right, at least not right now and may not get there ever. So I know there's this sort of compulsion to think about Siakam trades and stuff. If you're trading Siakam, it's for a star and Wiseman and Wiggins ain't that. So no, I, I think if you get the first overall pick, you go Fred, Cade, OG, Pascal, insert center here, and you roll, and you probably win 50-plus games next season, and then you're probably a contender years two and beyond. So, uh, yeah, not not uh, not it for me there. Last one here. We'll get to this one from our pal Freddie Rivas, who asks, when we beat the Celtics next in the playoffs, which Raptor would you like to see stomp, sit, dance on the Leprechaun's face? Um, my answer to this is, is a guy who might not be on the team next year, but I hope he is for this very case. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I want him on the team. And instead of just going to step on the the leprechaun, I want him to do the thing where that a dog dra- does, where like the dog drags his ass across the carpet. Kyle Lowry should do that with his own ass across Lucky the Leprechaun. Uh, just just do it across the entire visage of uh, this stupid green bowler cap wearing uh, jabroni. And uh, I, th- I feel like Boston fans won't take well to that. And that is exactly the right people to piss off. So yeah, Kyle Lowry dragging his ass across the, the Lucky the Leprechaun is my pick and my answer to this question. And that, I think, oh, we got time for one more. I'll get one more in here. 
This one comes from Forever 2019, uh, who asks, what does Siakam have to do to improve this summer, or what does he have to improve on this summer to take that next quantum leap, leap to go to player? I think the answer to this is, you know, you got to be realistic, and I think that's not going to happen. I, I think we've seen pretty clearly the last couple of years that Pascal is going to be a very good number two on a very good team, but is maybe not cut out for that number one option role because of, you know, the inconsistent shooting, the lack of a pull-up game, the sort of oscillating back and forth commitment to shooting from the mid-range and kind of getting those shots up. And also the fact that, you know, he, he's just... He's just not quite there. There are some guys who can break down anybody and are kind of matchup proof. Siakam has dudes who can shut him down, and that's just the reality. And that's okay. It's totally fine. It doesn't make him any less valuable, any less worth of his contract or whatever it is. But I think for him to become like a go-to player, all of those things mentioned above kind of need to take a step up. The pull-up shooting needs to be there. He needs to be a threat coming around a screen, and he's either going to drive on you with his crazy speed or he's going to pull up for three. Like, all number one superstars have that for the most part, and I think that's something Siakam would have to have. I think, you know, the playmaking would have to even take up another step. He was good this year, in fact, really good this year, and became an excellent playmaker, made some pretty difficult reads and passes. He's going to have to expand that repertoire even more. It's just a really difficult thing to do to go from being very good to, you know, franchise-changing go-to guy, and I just don't think that's going to happen, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with Pascal Siakam being the second best player on your team and sort of working off of another offensive star who's maybe a bit, bit more heliocentric or whatever. I, I think that's the path forward here for Siakam, and I think this season was clarifying of, of what his limitations are and what they're going to be. And I, you know, I have no problem with, with the player he is. I'm sure there will be some improvements. I'm sure, you know, the scoring around the basket, he'll, you know, it's kind of been a, a weird thing where he'll kind of have the touch and then he won't have the, ch- the touch. And, and I'm sure that will sort of be a thing he works on. But for the most part, I think he's a really nice player. And it's going to take a lot and sort of a handful of incremental improvements in a lot of different areas to become a quote-unquote go-to player as opposed to the very good number two that he is right now. Um, and that's going to do it. That is all the questions I have. Uh, or I have a lot more, but I don't have time to answer them. So sorry if I did not get to your question. Again, please send them on to next time. I'll try to get to them. Uh, really, really appreciate everybody for uh, listening, subscribing, supporting the show. It's deeply, deeply appreciated. And uh, we'll have a lot more coming up for you in the coming days. Tomorrow, Katie's going to come on the podcast. We're going to talk about Coach Nurse and the coaching staff and the front office and how they approach this season. And then next week, we start into draft stuff uh, and also have a fun episode for Monday, Tuesday. Of course, this Sunday is the one-year or two-year anniversary of the Raptors winning the NBA title. Of course, this is the first year they've not been in the playoffs for a very long time. And so Monday, Tuesday next week, we're going to do a fantasy draft with Vivek and Katie, and we are going to fantasy draft playoff games from the We the North you know, 2014 to 2020 playoff streak era. Uh, it's going to be great. There are lots to choose from, and I am very, very much looking forward to it. So that's going to be Monday, Tuesday. And then it's full draft stuff for probably the next month straight. And I apologize for kind of leaving everyone hanging for the draft stuff. It's a daily podcast. There's a we got to spread this crap out a little bit in the off season, and so uh, we'll really ramp up draft stuff next week. Of course, the lottery is not far after that. I know next. Friday, I'm going to be joined by Raphael Barlow, who is an amazing uh, NBA draft man. He's, of course, one of the hosts of Locked On NBA Draft. 
That's going to be a ton of fun. And so you have that to look forward to next week. And we will continue to tee up the draft lottery, talk about uh, different machinations and all that good stuff in the week to come or the 12 days to come until the lottery balls are drawn. Until tomorrow, we'll sign off for now. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I'll talk to you again on Friday with Katie as we dig into the front office and the coaching staff. A reminder, just go to my Twitter to get your draft lottery uh, watch party info if you want to be part of that. Send me a donation. Send me your receipts. It's always appreciated. Again, we have like 865 bucks raised right now. Over a half dozen people in the room. It's going to be a blast. And so highly recommend that. Uh, And that's all I got. Please go support the podcast, support all the other Locked On shows you want to support, and we'll talk to you again on Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye-bye. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.